And welcome to another program of Life of Love, a joyful guide to self and sensuality. I'm so proud to bring this episode to you today and to introduce a sweet soul. Um, I'm just, I feel so connected. We had a great pre-interview talk and, and her bio is just amazing. I'm, I'm in such alignment with her message and I'm just really excited to introduce Nicole Angelique Kerr to the show. She's a spiritual explorer whose near-death experience took her memory for years, but then gave her so much more. She has been a wellness director in a hospital, and she just came out with her first book, You Are Deathless, an NDE taught me how to fully live and not fear death. My goodness, Nicole, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Julie, for having me on your show. I am so excited and so grateful. Well, it's an honor, honor to have you and just have you share your story. So I love your, everyone's into their initials these days and you, you're a BTDT. Yeah, I, I created that myself. And that one to me is the most important after all the alphabet letters of anybody's name. And it's been there, done that, because I think when you have been there and done that, that gives you empathy, compassion, and sympathy. And when you haven't, you can't really relate to people. You know, I can't relate to someone who's had cancer. I can relate to someone who's had a colostomy and all these other injuries, but it's different. And when you share that common experience, it bonds you closer and makes you more empathetic, sympathetic, and compassionate. And we, um, we trust each other at that level for having that experience and truly experience supersedes anything you learn in school. It's mm, so true. I mean, you just can't re- reproduce life experience mm-hmm. and, and that compassion that you can, you can have grace to say, Hey, you've been through this and, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's very powerful. So my goodness, so you were young, you were a cadet, I was. I was only 19 years old. You know, everybody was off to their favorite college. And since I grew up in the South, Jackson, Mississippi, they were there headed to Ole Miss or Mississippi State. And I am a people. Let me rephrase that. I'm a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) And I'm the second of four kids. And my dad was military. He went to the Air Force Academy. He always said he wanted one of us kids to go to the academy. And in 1976, you may not remember, but people, uh, the, the government, um, Congress allowed women into the military academy. So the first class graduated in 1980 and my class was 86. So you can see I was in one of the first classes of women. So my dad was super excited that they were accepting women and, you know, pushed me to go in that direction. And I absolutely had no interest in the military. I did modeling. I did junior achievement. I did all these things that had nothing to do with uh, aeronautical engineering or space or airplanes or any of that. You know, I don't even like being in a small airplane. Okay. But because I wanted my dad's approval, his love and his blessing, you know, and 
to be the favorite child. Okay. I'll be that in there. You know, I wanted to move up. I had an older sister and two younger brothers, but they went into the military when they were younger, like in eighth grade and ninth grade. And so, um, you know, it was a big deal to get a nomination from your congressman and get accepted. And I remember the day they called me into the principal's office and he told me that the, the representative was on the phone and he said, congratulations, you're accepted to the U.S. Air Force Academy. I just went, oh, my God, now I got to really follow through with this. You know, I, 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 I didn't think I was going to make it. I just didn't. I, I wasn't a varsity athlete. You know, I barely scraped by the, the PT, the physical um, training exam, push-ups and sit-ups. You know, I just wasn't. I did ballet, you know. Uh, it, that just doesn't get the same muscles that you need to run in combat boots, you know. So, um when I went up there, I will tell you, um, it was six weeks of basic cadet training. And I, the, at the three-week period, they said we could make a phone call home. And it was going to be three minutes. So I called. My mother answered the phone. And I started crying. And Julie, I cried and cried. Mm-hmm. I couldn't quit crying. I started hyperventilating on the phone. <laughs> and I didn't get a word out edgewise. And then the commander comes in and says, your time's up. And he could clearly see I was very distraught and told me to sit over there and get my act together. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first time I had a panic attack. And I didn't know what it was till years later, but I needed permission from my mother or my father to say, Nicole, if you're not happy, come home. It's okay to quit. You're not a failure. If you don't quit, forget about what everybody else thinks, you know, uh, you, you do what you need to do to feel safe. And because I was just being abused. I mean, that's what you set yourself up for as a freshman in any of these academies is hazing. You know, you're mentally harassed, you're physically harassed, you're emotionally harassed, and then you put women in there and you get the sexual harassment. Mm. And, you know, I just couldn't say, I'm done. I quit. And my soul knew it. Mm-hmm. My soul knew I was not a warrior. You know, I don't believe, and I mean, the military, I understand the reasoning for it to be, to protect and defend, but I'm not a killer. And I know, you know, our nature as souls are not killers. So, so many of our um, veterans, so many active duty are dealing with mental illness because they've seen death, they've caused death. And it is overwhelming their nervous systems and they can't ever get past that because it's a, it's like their soul fragmented and they've never been able to bring back those fragmented pieces and be whole again because it was so traumatizing. Mm-hmm. So my sophomore year, here's where my NDE comes in. I, it only gets harder, the, 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 you know, the higher up you go in terms of academics and everything. And I really didn't want to go back. But once again, uh, nobody in my family or anybody questioned me and asked me or, you know, so off I go back for the second year. And the first uh, we had a, a squadron function and I got there late. And needless to say, there was beer and I got a ride back with the last person that was there. He was a senior and he had a Corvette convertible. And uh, I was like, can I have a ride back? And that's really all I thought I wanted. I didn't know the guy. Uh, it was just take me back to the academy. And I didn't realize he had a whole other agenda. I had never been on a date before, really sheltered life, really uh, life-based, uh, you know, 
the Bible Belt. We went to church a lot, uh, Baptist church and the Lutheran church. And so, um, you know, I tried to be a good girl. That was it. I wanted to, to be a pleaser and do good and be rewarded and be loved and be happy. I thought that was being happy. Mm -hmm. So I I get in the car with him. And needless to say, uh, we never wound back up at the Air Force Academy. Um, During the drive, he wanted to stop at a bar and have a couple more beers. And I was worried about getting back to the academy because we have a curfew. And I didn't want to get in trouble. And then he wanted to go uh, watch the sunset uh, on the Rocky Mountains and see none of this I remember they didn't come back till 19 years later. And so um, I was like, okay. And then I got it. He was starting to make a sexual pass at me and started kissing me. And I was like, no, we got to get back. I'm not doing this. And then when he pulled back on the road, uh, he tried to grab my crotch again. And I said, no. And he got really mad at me and turned the wheel of the Corvette and it fishtailed and hit a huge boulder. This is in Monument, Colorado. And needless to say, uh, the car flipped. They imagined, they estimated he was going 72 in a 45 mile an hour uh, speed zone. And uh, we didn't have seat belts. We were both thrown um, from the car. I wound up in a ditch and some people heard it. They came over, they checked me out, could not get a pulse or anything, went inside and got a blanket and covered me up. It took the volunteer um, EMS department uh, 10 to 15 minutes to get to me. And the EMS uh, angel I describe uh, is John Hartling. And he asked them what was going on. He said, there's two people, they're working on the other guy, he's live. And uh she didn't make it. So he goes, nobody tells me whether somebody's dead or not. I do that. I have to check on myself. So he's a really kind of a hard ass guy that goes by the book. And I'm so glad because, you know, he, he was doing this part time. His 40 hour work week wasn't enough for him. So he wanted more, more to do. And he brought his son who was 16 and as a junior rescuer. And this was his first accident to witness. So um, needless to say, he couldn't get any sign of life out of me when he took the blanket off and so did a sternal knuckle pressure. And what that did was uh, it's a severe pain, uh, severe pain. So if there's anything in your body that can pick up a pain signal, it's going to react to that. So my right pupil uh, flickered and then uh, my eyelid flickered, then dilated. Okay, so he knew I was alive. So now his thing was, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta make sure she stays alive. So what would we say about the soul and our eyes? Do you remember the saying, our eyes or what? Oh, the windows of our soul. That's right. Yes. At that, at that moment that he was doing that, my soul came back in my eye. My soul had left when the accident happened. It completely left my body. Okay. So now I've been quote clinically dead 10 to 15 minutes and he starts working on me and it comes back through my eye. Pretty amazing. Isn't right. It? And so okay. this memory, like you, did you have a, when you got your memory back, did you, do you have a memory of this happening? Yeah. 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 It was 20 years, almost 20 years later. 
that I remembered everything. And I, I, you know, I only remembered bright white lights. That's the only thing I remembered from when I got back in the car with him till I woke up in the ICU at Penrose Community Hospital. The whole gap was blank to me until 19 years later when I was working at the CDC in Atlanta and I was going to Starbucks to get my regular caffeine jolt. And all of a sudden, Julie, I could see how I was sitting in the car. And I know now how I got caught up and cut my my foot off and cut up all the insides of my thighs and my hand. You know, I just, it all made sense because my other than a really bad road burn on my face, my head was intact and my spine was intact. But everything around me was pretty much broken or uh, lacerated or whatever. And so I, 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 I didn't even go to work because I knew I couldn't get through work. I went to my chiropractor who was also a body worker and his secretary's like, we can't fit you in, Nicole. I said, I'm not sleeping here. I'm sitting here on the floor until he can see me today. And he finally got me in. And what he said was, Nicole, these are repressed memories. Okay. And from your trauma and your body now feels safe enough for them to start coming up. And I'm like, 20 years later, almost that it took that long. And he said, yeah. Yeah. And so this is, this is, this is what I remembered when he worked with me is I could see myself going through, um, uh, I can, you know, I, in my book, I detail it very, very specifically, um, you know, uh, exactly what happened. Um, and it's like, um, I don't want to take the time to read it right now, but yeah. it was it was remembering the windshield going butt up through the windshield. And then when I got up high because I was ejected out, I froze. OK, and I looked down and I could tell when I landed on the ground, I was going to die. And I was just like, oh, my God, help me, because there was nothing in my control that I could do to keep myself from dying. Nothing. And. You know, I'd always been told God will save you. Jesus will save you. And I'm like, okay, where are you? God, help me. Save me, you know, and it didn't happen. So here is this disconnect with the religion that I was taught. Uh, God and G- you'll be saved. Okay. And when I thought of saved, I meant, well, stay alive, right? Yeah, physically, so, like, yeah, I'm not ready to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm literally in the saved mode of you're going to keep me alive. And that didn't happen. So when I was in the air, an angel, I called him Casper the ghost in the book because I didn't get the revelation until after the book published that the angel was my grandfather, Kerr. Okay. He died at 58 years old in August and I turned 58 years old this year and and it was so close to when he died that he came to me in my meditation. And he said, Nicole, I was the one that came down and I lifted you up because I could see how you were being abused, how you didn't want to be there, how you couldn't figure a way out of that without feeling such shame and um, blame and guilt. So he said, you knew angels from the Bible, you knew the the guardian angels and you knew the archangels. So that was a safe symbol for you to come with me. And we both went up to another 
level plane, whatever you want to call it. And I could look down and see my body, my corpse in the ditch. Okay. I remember what I was wearing. I had my Azad t-shirt on because I could finally wear civilian clothes. Now that I was a, a sophomore, I had my khaki shorts on. I saw my foot was detached. I was like, oh, that doesn't look good. Um, but it was lifeless. And, you know, if you've ever seen a, um, a body that's dead, it doesn't look the same as the body that you knew. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has a different look to it. And yeah. that's because it's not animated or filled with life. It's just, it's that lifelessness. And yeah. so, um, so I was up there looking down and I'm going, oh boy. That was bad, but I could hear other conversations going on. So there were other angels in the realm that I was in and I distinctly now they aren't speaking English. I don't know how I knew what they were saying, Mm -hmm. but there is telepathy energy, whatever that you're hearing. And they specifically were having a conversation saying we here on earth need to ask them for help. Okay. And I think a lot of us forget that, but angels are not going to interfere on our behalf unless we ask because we have free will. And so I want to give your audience the message. Please do not forget to ask the angels for help with anything. I know people laugh about the parking space thing and asking an angel for a parking space. But by gosh, they show up, you know, (laughs) and you need to understand that there's a whole nother spiritual realm that where we go back to and we forget to start having a relationship with it, you know, and a relationship is a back and a forth. So you have to start understanding that it's a two way communication and they're going to give you signals. They're going to give you signs. They're going to give you information you need to help with the questions that you ask, but you have to be open-minded and you have to initiate, Hey, I need help, you know, and not just in a crisis, a medical crisis, you know, it's a, it's building a relationship with the other realm and that's with your spirit guides and it's with your angels. So they're like, yep, they need to ask us for help. We're waiting here. They will intervene if it's an emergency. Like in my case, mm-hmm. it was life and death. And so they came down because I I cried out, oh, my God, help me, you know. And uh, and so those situations, they, they will go in uh, automatically. But in our day-to-day life, that's um, a practice that we need to get in the habit of reestablishing if we've gotten out of it or to mm-hmm. start if we haven't. Now, my uh, uh, granddaddy, uh, my angel, you know, you have to remember you're, you don't have a human form, okay? Mm-hmm. And none of his past translated up to where he was. The fact that he was an alcoholic or any of that, that's not even part of it. You know, it's his soul essence, which mm-hmm. for all of us is beauty and light. So he told me my message was that I was going back. And when I heard going back, I was like, no, (laughs) I do not want to get back in that body. That is going to be too painful and I'm going to suffer too much. I like it up here. I don't want to go back. It is so beyond uh, words, beyond bliss, beyond, you know, there's no suffering. There's no pain. There's no 
arguing. There's no negativity. There's no, there's no bad juju. There's nothing up there in that, that realm. It's just beauty. It's love. It's, it's just, oh, light and loving kindness, you know, just surrounding you, you know, you're bathing in it all the time. And um, you're like a chrysalis, you know, with this cocoon or an astronaut folding in space. You just are, it's, it's just intoxicating. It's just unbelievable. Mm. So he said, your message was to tell people not to be afraid of death. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of big, don't you think? And, uh, <laughs> and I'm just like, Okay. And then that was the conversation. Now I remember color. I remember colors, you know, I remember, uh, I remember the spirit. I remember that part, but my NDE was not about some people write about how they have time up there and all these things that come about and they talk to this person and that person. And, and I would probably agree with all of it because it all winds up being beauty, light, loving kindness, you know, when you push it all together. Mm. And I got that really quickly. But my message was going to be to be on a more physical level of telling people the lessons that are positive about death mm. that the NDE society has collected from hearing mm-hmm. thousands and millions yeah. of our stories, just like the bright white light you can see through it. It's clear. Mm-hmm. It doesn't blind you. It's not like a, you know, a deer in the headlight kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the color white, you know, white clearly is made up of all the colors of the rainbow because it contains all wavelengths, you know, so you're in this just magic kaleidoscope. And so, yeah, I didn't want to come back, but I did. And then I tried to exit a couple more times in the operating room on some code blues. Uh, the pain that I was in was just horrific. And it was more emotional and spiritual because I basically reverted back to being an infant. And for four months, I was in the hospital, seven weeks in ICU. Um, I became a disabled veteran. And I had to go back home and learn how to walk again and go to the bathroom. So I was dependent on my mother again. And it uh, developed, we developed a very codependent relationship. And so my dad in his uh, Marine way just decided since I was, after a year of therapy, I was uh, walking and I could function physically uh, that I needed to now go live with my sister in Texas and go to school, go back to school since I was not going to go back to the academy. Thank God. (laughs) Um, So, um, but what he didn't realize was mentally I had gotten no help and spiritually I got put back into the same, um, the same uh, religion, back to the Baptist church, back to the Lutheran church, you know, and I couldn't make sense of it, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have the support to process the NDE. My parents told the doctor who said Nicole needs mental health. Health. Uh, our psychologist is God and Jesus. She's going to do fine. And that was not true. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when people say that, it makes me so sad because God is not going to come down and tell you our Jesus is going to come sit with you and, and try to help you work through a trauma or a trigger, you know, mm-hmm. and And I just, I developed an eating disorder 
as a way to compensate for my trauma. I was in so much pain that I used food and I was compulsively eating because back in the 80s, they didn't know about binge eating disorder. (laughs) And I lived with that for 20 years. Okay. I finally started getting some help with it. And it wasn't until I got married at 40 that it actually resolved. But I have to tell you, that is one of the worst, most secretive, uh, um, humiliating, shame-based conditions to have, you know, because people look on you on the outside and think one thing and they have no idea that you're in so much pain. And it's so, and I write it in the book, you know, my Friday night date was Dallas and Dynasty on television and, you know, uh, a pint of, I'm not a pint, a half gallon of uh, Bluebell caramel turtle fudge ice cream and a Domino's um, Canadian bacon and pepperoni pizza. And then I would hate myself, you know, for binging like that. So it was really about the hate I had toward myself And my parents blaming me for the wreck, even though I was not driving, I wasn't the one drunk, I was a passenger, but they told me I broke my dad's rules. I had had something to drink, I had a cigarette, and I was with another cadet that they assumed I was dating, which isn't true. So I broke my dad's rules, so I broke, therefore I broke God's rules, because my dad basically was uh, an earthly image of the heavenly father in my growing up. And if I pleased my dad, then I was pleasing God. So if I displeased my dad and disappointed him, then I did my heavenly father as well. So I carried that around for a long time. And it's interesting this past May, I got together with my roommate who quit the Academy that December and I not talked to her for 38 years and either had the two other female cadets. So we all got on a zoom call And the first thing she said was, Nicole, I'm so sorry I caused the wreck. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, we had agreed that I, you and I were going to ride back together. And then this other cadet who was drunk and older, who I really liked and wanted to spend some time with, um, I drove his car back and you asked me if you could get a, you know, a ride with with us. And I said, no, I wanted to be alone with him. And I told you there was another guy over there uh, who you could get a ride back with. Um, And I said, but he's been drinking. And she said, well, they've all been drinking. And she said, you know, just go have some fun and I'll see you back at the Academy. And she never did. And she couldn't live with the guilt of, uh, it has haunted her to this day that if she would have just let me ride back with them, you know, she had no idea he was going to stop at a bar and then stop at a, you know, what he did. Um, our lives would have been totally different. So, you know, I put that in the epilogue to let people know communication is so important, especially around trauma, because she thought I remembered that conversation and I had no idea about it that we had talked about that. Um, and I beat myself up mercifully. I mean, mercilessly. I just mercilessly. How could, yeah. Yeah, mercy, yeah, yeah, how could I? Yeah. yeah. How could I get in the car with someone who was drunk? I know better than that, you know. And I did. And I still just wanted to be a college yeah. teenager having fun, which I'd never gotten to do in my life. And boy, did I get slammed. So, you know, it's it's been a journey, but I want to just let people know. Our angels are there all the time. We 
always have a guardian angel with us. And some of us have four or five angels, maybe even more, you know, depending. I will tell you for myself, I have six now. Uh, I just added another one here in the last couple of months, you know, and they all have different functions and different purposes. They're not all doing the same thing. And I, I just, uh, and spirit guides, that's a whole nother realm, but we all come in with the spirit guide and mine, her name is Violet, which happens to be my favorite color, you know, Aww. so it's, it's kind of neat. And then you get talking to them and you start dialoguing with them and then you are going, wow, signs start showing up that you never would have seen before. You can ask them for evidence and they will give it to you about something. I mean, it becomes really cool to start communicating with them. And um, and it, it, it's magical, you know, what will start showing up for you. Right. And uh, I just, I just love it. And oh, thank you for sharing all this. It's, it's amazing. And there's so many people going through transitions, like mm-hmm. parents dying, family members, uncles. I mean, I wanted to get some friends together this Saturday and there's, there's several people that are going to end of life celebrations. And, you know, this is something a lot of people are going through and in your experience can help give some people comfort. Um, yeah, I talk, uh, every one of my chapters is from a, a, a positive common lesson mm-hmm. that's been learned. And the first one is we do not quote die. Our soul lives on. Okay, so when we die, yes, the physical body does decay, but our energy energy body releases our soul and our soul goes upward. And that is the light. That is the love. That is your pure essence, who you are. And we forget who we are because we get all this crud layered on to us by authority figures and society and our parents and all this stuff. And so you have to go unpack all of that. And that takes a while because we all have stuck emotions in our body from traumas or stuff that we'd never process. Mm -hmm. So when we get a in, in the present day, we hit a similar trigger or stressor and we don't understand what's going on. It's usually taking us back to an earlier age in life where the same dynamics of the situation we are in present day and you never were able to respond back then. So you're trying to respond as a six-year-old or an eight-year-old <laughs> instead of being in your prefrontal cortex where you're able to make a executive decision. You're back in your amygdala in your fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, this book talks about a lot of stuff, but it highlights those 10 common lessons. We're never alone. Okay, we are never judged. That is a huge one because look how much we judge each other in our society today. You know, Mm -hmm. love is all that matters and is the source of all that exists. Mm -hmm. So I want to say the source of all that exists, that source is God. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if love is all that matters, God is love, period. Okay, there's no. Uh, hellfire brimstone coming in from God. There's no, uh, you're going to hell. There's no punishment. There's no judgment. There's none of that. That is not my experience at all. And it was a way to keep people in fear. And boy, did it do a good job, especially as kids. You were terrified of the devil and, you know, being separated more so, uh, from your family. That thought mm-hmm. would just scare kids 
you know, to death to think they've done something so wrong to, to have that happen to them. And in loving ourselves is the most important thing we can do, because if we can love ourselves truly unconditionally, then we can love others. But that there's so many filters mm-hmm. that have been put on us like, you know, you should do this. Take that should work and just kick it out of this stratosphere, okay? Should change the uh to an yeah. in a D yeah. and a T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a T. So yeah. what quick question. So to me, well, maybe you can clarify. So your grandfather who who presented as Casper, he had made choices that weren't approved by God. So that's evidence to you that since he was in this magical realm and he was in the same realm because you, you lived basically a perfect life until you went and had a couple of beers and got in the car with a drunk guy. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. you, in, in all religious, um, traditional religious sense with your church, you had earned heaven, but your yes. grandfather may not have, was, was that, was that your take on yes. it? Yeah. And, okay. and, you know, he, he wound up in jail a couple of times, you know, mm-hmm. and my dad had to go get him out of jail. So yeah, he went to church, but I knew at age one, there was something about my granddaddy that didn't agree with what was being said mm-hmm. and all of it. And he did it because everybody else did it. And it was the look and the image that your family was all supposed to go to church together. But it, you know, yeah, his life didn't necessarily mirror it. And when I look at my life growing up, you know, my dad uh, whipped us as children. You know, he sent me, uh, his daughter, to a place where he knew there was going to be abuse because he'd mm-hmm. been there before. And I'm like, what the hell were you thinking? You know, uh, right. you know, how's that going to make me a strong woman, you know, or, uh, you know, have a character that few can rival, you know, I'm just like, no, that's, that's just gonna yeah, cause and then, me to have P- PTSD, which right. is what I got. Yeah. Right. And so. that whole, your whole women, we, the divine feminine needs to feel safe. And so yes. that person who was supposed to be your God, your ultimate savior here on earth and protector, he did the opposite, throwing you to the yeah. wolves. So you had to deal with all that trauma. And so, oh man, I can understand why it took you so long to write that book. I mean, there's a lot, a lot you had to deal with. Yeah. And, and you know, it took 13 years and I'm okay with that now, now that I've done it. <laughs> but I want to let people know why I wrote it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was to help get the message out to not fear death. And there actually is a checklist in there about some of the fears you may have. And mm-hmm. you may think you're okay, but unconsciously, and that's what runs 95% of our life is the unconscious belief systems that we have. And so many of them are not true or outdated, and we need to rewire our brain with them. But I did it to help you with your fears about death. I did it to support you through the loss of loved ones so that Mm -hmm. you understand, um, yes, it is terrible when someone dies and you, I honored the grief and the loss and all of that, their physicality, uh, that, Mm -hmm. that they're no longer here, but they are on the other side of the veil. They just can't, you just can't see them physically, but they can give you messages and you can be open to hearing them, you know? So it's, they haven't, gone in terms of forever gone away. They're still there. Um, And I just really hope my book will inspire you to live fully, freely, and open your heart 
and hands as wide as you can to love and to be loved. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just gorgeous. And I, I just keep trying to let people know this too, that the judgments are really hard on us and the people around us. And, you know, we're, we're all here to conquer certain things. So if somebody makes a decision that is in alignment with what you want, you don't need to judge them. They're a divine being and they're that beautiful soul. That's going to, that's going to go to eternity also, or maybe get reincarnated. Like there's different options, but you know, that just because someone made a a bad decision in your eyes, that could be just part of their soul path. And it's not, doesn't condemn them. You don't need to judge because we're all divine beings. No matter our, our actions don't define our souls. Yes. And I think we're in a society where we judge people's behavior Mm -hmm. as who they are instead of it being separate. And then we label the person and then that just is a spiral downward instead of being able to see the good in people. You know, there's good in everyone, but you also have to realize that there are toxic people Mm -hmm. out there. There are uh, energy vampires. There are people that will try to uh, attack you. And, you know, uh, part of this as an empathic person and you too, is you got to get a thick skin. Mm-hmm. And that's what I realized with a lot of people with eating disorders is we're very thin skinned. We take everything personally. We really feel everything. Um, you know, I just, um, I, I want to say you got to thicken your skin a little bit to live on this planet and still stay conscious and grounded and rooted here because we are dealing with our humanity mm-hmm. and our spirituality. You know, you don't go one or the other, you know, you have to learn to balance them both here because yeah, I'm still going to have some fears, you know, mm-hmm. I, and, and that's normal, you know, but the fears that trigger me into a panic attack, that is something that I can work to alleviate because that's not how I should be living in fear um, like that. So, yeah. you know, the fear of death, yes, dying can be painful. I'm not going to, you know, short circuit that one, but death itself is not. And your angels come in Mm -hmm. to escort you. Your deceased loved ones come in to escort you over. You are not going over alone. And a lot of people thought with the pandemic and COVID that, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I wasn't there for them. Um, They went alone. You know, that's not true. We come into this world alone, you know, up until the point we're put at our mother's breast or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. but we are going to go out alone. The journey is alone. You make it alone. You know, you're crossing over into that other realm by these other souls. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful. And we need to do a better job of teaching our children that death can happen at any age. And when um, someone says, you know, like I, my sister's husband passed away at an early age. And so the kids were going, mom, you know, uh, are you going to die? Are you going to be here for us? And she goes, oh, of course, I will always be here. And I, I, I understand. Yeah, I understand her intention by saying, yes, she doesn't want them to be full of angst or fear or any of that. But the truth is, none of us have a guarantee, you know, and she she could, any of us can go tomorrow, you know, and I I just think that that's something we need to all prepare ourselves for 
And our culture does not do a very good job. It's very much about doom and gloom and negative where other cultures actually have the family interact with uh, the body of the dead person for a couple of days. They get to touch it. They get to talk to it. They, they can, you know, if they're there, they can see the spirit leave it, you know. And okay. so it's not scary. Whereas here we really do... Um, Oh, stay away from it, you know, and we need to to change that conversation. And that's what I am working towards to help change um, our view, our vibration and our cultural misunderstanding surrounding death. And mm-hmm. to do that, we have to start addressing the difficulties getting there, which are our fears. Mm, I can tell how passionate you are about it. And I love <laughs> it. And you just there's so many things you sparked in me. But when you were when you're talking about how when you're sensitive, you, you know, you can be attacked and, and we have to guard ourselves against energy vampires. And I think that's, that just comes back to our self-love that just comes back to, we just need to take care of ourselves that much more. And once, once you realize that your centered being, being in your heart, being quiet and connected to God, all that other stuff falls away because your frequency is so high. And like we were talking about in the pre-interview, how I felt attacked in my sleep. And I was like, I'm just going to pray to to Mother Mary because she's very strong in my life. And she's been a very strong matriarch in my family. And you know, just like, I know that brings in my grandmother because we prayed the rosary together as, you know, child. And, and so it's just like, we just, we just need to take care of our, the more sensitive you feel you are, that, that all the more reason for you to put yourself first and make sure that you are in a good place before you reach out your hand and do any self-sacrifice. I mean, we're all, we all want to help each other. We're, we're, we're designed to be in community and we want to, we want to be in community. So that's, that's a given. We're going to do that. We don't have to consciously, I mean, some people might have to consciously say, I want to be part of community, but most people are sensitive that they want to give and they want to, they want to make other people happy. So you don't have to worry about being selfish, but have your self-love, protect yourself. You're cherished, you're a divine being here, having an earthly experience. So honor that because yeah. you're right. It's a yeah. dance. We're going spirit. We're going body. We got to deal with aging. We got to deal with family passing. And so, yes, this is so, so timely and so beautiful. Um, yeah, there's something else I wanted to ask you about. Oh, has, has your, is your dad alive? Uh, yes, he is. Uh, and my mother as well. And I would say that they are religious addicts. Mm-hmm. And the problem with a religious addict is they use God uh, as their reason for everything. And you just can't rationalize or come back with anything because God is God and he's the, the greatest authority. But they uh, they live in Australia. Mm. They're both in good health. I don't talk to them anymore. Um, you know, I, I've had to go through a journey of realizing that they're narcissistic and their inability to forgive me for the accident and realizing, especially after my roommate came forward with this revelation that I didn't have anything to do with it. You know, they're just incapable of admitting that they uh, made a mistake, you Mm -hmm. know, and that they uh, really hurt me by doing that. Um, My dad reminds me of the Fonz, you know, the Fonz could never say, I'm sorry. Remember, he'd always get, uh, 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 he couldn't say it, you know, and, and, it, and it's just, um, 
it's their path. They have their own belief systems, but they couldn't bear that their children had a different belief system. And I think it took that car crash. I know it did for me to get out of that. Otherwise, I would still be in that generational patterning of thinking uh, that old concept of God, which I call a vending machine. You put in the right behaviors, punch the button and boom, out comes your reward, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it's not that at all. And it's taken me a long time to 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 get to realize that, plus still dealing with physical, you know, challenges that I still have as a result from the car crash. So, um, you know, I'm so glad to be here now. I'm so glad that my angels have worked so hard to keep me here. And I feel like the time is right for people to be open to this message and start questioning things and question what your concept of God really is. Try to really define that for yourself, you know, because Mm -hmm. I say, is there anywhere God is not? No. God is everywhere, you know? So it, it, it's it's an energy, and that's where we're going is the frequency and the energy of, of, of all of us. Because mm-hmm. when you're that vapor, that's an energy mm-hmm. that's coming out. And you got you to know? see it. I mean, it's so yeah. amazing. I'm just so in awe. And yeah. you know, something that's been coming to me is I've been, I've been working with my angels for about, about eight years. I've been working. Okay. I mean, consciously, they've always been around me and I've always felt, you know, presence. I've always had deja vu and different things, but consciously saying, Hey angels, I invite you in and, you know, having this, I feel like I've been taking a lot from the angels, like asking them for a lot. Whereas in the last six months or so, I've been offering my love to the angels, say, you know, and, and different experiences I will, I will dedicate to the angels. Oh, that's sweet. And I really feel that they dance with joy when we give back, when we include them and, and they, they can't materialize with us like unless there's an emergency, but it's it's very risky. You don't want fallen angels, right? Like angels that try to reincarnate or fall in love with humans. That's, that's a tricky thing. And and so you don't want that. You just, you want to see their signs and the synchronicities, but it's dangerous for them. You keep to, it's dangerous to ask them to appear to you, to be seen. And I think that's a mis- misconception. People are like, oh, I'm going to see an angel. I'm going to go, no, that's not how it works. It's energy. And, and don't ask them to be revealed, right? Because that's dangerous for them. And it puts but them. Can, but, but you can't ask them what their name is, mm-hmm. you know, and you can yeah. ask them, you know, uh, what, what are you, what, what, why are you in my life? You know, I have a protective angel called James and he is, quote, my military angel. And that may seem like an oxymoron, but he protects and defends me from some situations that I could have easily been killed in a mm-hmm. car crash, another one. And, uh, in Orlando, I tell you, Orlando traffic, oh, yeah. but, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, it just happened so quickly. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, by the grace of God, the guy behind us stopped too, and we didn't get rear-ended and smooshed. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you know, they're, yeah. they're with you always. And I think to just honor the exchange and request, start with the request for help. And a way to start connecting with your soul is journaling. And I got mm-hmm. this from Lee Harris, who said, just right at the top of your piece of paper, what does my soul want to tell me today? 
I love Lee Harris. <laughs> yeah, it yes. but it, it's, it's so, so powerful. True. Just get quiet and ask, and you'll be surprised. Yeah. Even you could just draw it. It doesn't have to yeah. be words. Like you said, yeah. the angels, it's not a language. It's telepathy. So you don't even have yeah. to find the words. Just have the feeling that you want. Have the intention. Just that is so powerful. I just love yeah. that. And then trust yourself. That's the other hard part mm. is, you know, wait a minute, is what I'm getting the right thing? Or, you know, you start asking, your, you start doubting yourself. And mm-hmm. that's where you got to get over that and trust, you know, in your soul that that is the truth for you. Right. Whoa. Well, thank you. And I will put a link to your book. And I'm just so excited. Those, those steps, um, the 10 steps to disconnect, um, the lessons. The lessons. The lessons, yeah. That made me think of, you know, I recently I've started to to sever cords with different belief systems that no longer serve me, um, relationships that, you know, might be weighing me down. I'll consciously say I'm I'm severing this cord. And so if you can if people can look at those um you said their agreements or uh, the, or the ten common lessons of NDEs, and they're oh the common uh, lessons, yeah. So like we never die, uh, we are not judged. Um, you're never alone. Uh, we're more than our physical body and brain. Okay. So you could you could disconnect from the opposite. So if you feel like that's an overlay that when you read that you're like oh that's wrong, then right. the reader could say I disconnect from this paradigm, I disconnect from this template that's been placed on me because we do, we have certain things that have been overlaid on our society that we've just grown up. That's just the way it is. And nobody questions it. So if you read one of those and you're like, Oh wait, that doesn't, you can make the choice to disconnect from that paradigm that no longer serves you and connect to what you're saying is a lesson that you've learned that you've been given a you were given a second chance at life to come back. Well, you were commanded. You didn't want to come back. They said you had to, right? Yeah. And and, and one of the ORs, they actually went and said, you know, code blue over the whole hospital. And my mother said they were in the chapel. She said, I knew it was you. And uh, of course the scrub, I mean, the surgical nurse came in and said, I'm sorry, you know, Mr. Miss Kerr, we've lost your daughter. Um, there's nothing else we can do. So you need to start preparing her funeral. And so my mom said for the first time, my dad started crying and said, you know, do you want to bury her at the Air Force Academy? And um, and then two minutes later, here comes another nurse. Her heart started going again. You know, uh, she's back with us. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you, yeah, you were, you, so you didn't I, even I'm have here a choice. For, we're, we're, yeah, we're all here. We're all here for a reason. Believe you me, we mm-hmm. all came here to our souls to evolve and to learn. Um, and these are very challenging times. Mm-hmm. And we are in a bridge time between the old and the new paradigms. And we're letting go of these old and we're light workers. We're bridge workers mm-hmm. to help this new generation bridge over because they are not going to stand for the same things that we uh, put up with. Right. You can see it in the children. Yeah. I call them the yeah. babies are crystalline babies. And like even yesterday at the store, this little baby boy, he's just so alert and he can't stop looking at me. And I know that he, 
I think he can see my angels around me. I can just tell because he cannot take his eyes off me. And the mom is like, what is this lady going to kidnap my kid? You know, like I didn't, I didn't approach him, but I could just, we had this energetic connection, me and this little baby. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you are just so, ooh. but uh, it's just magical. And I love, oh, and I have this, we go to the same hotel in Augusta and it's, it's a magical hotel. I, I know it's haunted. It's like, I've, I felt the spirits there and we have this favorite waitress and I didn't realize it, but she was pregnant from the day I met her. And I've been there a couple of times. And this last time we were there, she was really big. And I said, can I tell you something about your baby? And she's like, yeah. And, you know, I always ask permission because I don't want to just yeah, throw yes. up on people. And, um, and I had known her, she'd been our waitress several times and just really sweet. And, and I told her, I said, you know, your baby's very special and she's, she's going to be a, a crystalline soul. And she's like, I know, because as soon as I was pregnant, my relationship with my parents got better. She goes, everything just started flowing. Everything started to be magical. She goes, I know this baby is special. And it was just, (laughs) it was so cool. So I I do, I have such hope and, and just like, and I know it's just not even hope it's knowledge. It's at this point. So Thank you for activating it. uh, Well, stay focused on the good and the positive because there's a lot of uh, distraction around fear right now. And that fear is a low vibration, a low frequency, and we can't make clear. We don't have clarity in terms of decision making when we're filled with fear. So um, as much as you can keep yourself out of those situations and just work on yourself and take care of yourself, this is a time where you have to take care of you in order for you to take care of others. Right. And that includes movies you watch. Even I was just reading a book about the music. The music has energetics to it. So, you know, try to be very mindful of what you're exposing your ears to and and your kids ears. Mm. Yes. <laughs> That's a big one. They put those AirPods and you're like, what are you listening to? But oh my goodness, so much knowledge. And I just, I adored this conversation. I can't wait to get it Thank out and, and share it and, you know, just give people hope because it's, it's yeah. so scary. And we know that there's more than what we've been told. So that makes it a little more scary. So this is, this is enlightening. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure, Julie, and best to you and your audience. And just know we're all connected. Everything and everyone is connected. And as we raise our vibrations, other people are too. And it is going to uh, work out in our favor, but there may be some tumultuous times ahead, but stay true to yourself. Thank you.